Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled "Lose the Weight" from our series "Hard Reset." This morning, Hebrews twelve one to three, the Word of the Lord. We're going to start there, and we're going to be continuing our series called "A Hard Reset." Say that with me: "A Hard Reset." Has your phone ever been so messed up you just had to turn it off and back on again? <laughs> Has your computer ever been so so acting so crazy and squirrely that you had to take it in to the shop and just reinstall everything from scratch on it. Anybody had to do that except me? I've had to do that. Just a hard reset. Just start over from the factory settings and build everything back from the ground up. Amen? Many times that happens to us. And sometimes, spiritually, we wish we could find the reset button. Amen? And the new year is often the time in life when we are striving for a reset, a way to renew and start over with some new disciplines and some new habits and to get some things under control. Well, for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about that together as a family. Last Sunday, we studied together from Philippians 3 about pressing forward and how that we need a clear picture of where we are and a plan on how to move ahead. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about something else that we have to have in place if we're going to make it in the new year. And we're going to actually do something different. And we find it in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. And if I had a title today, it would simply be, Lose the Weight. Say that with me. Lose the weight. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to preach about your diet today, okay? That, like your fast, is between you and the Lord. We won't go there, amen? How many of you know we can preach about drinking in the church of God, but we can't preach about gluttony in the church of God. Amen? We all get too convicted to talk about that, so we'd leave that one alone. That's between you and the Lord. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. When I was a kid, we'd all line up across the front of the playground, and there'd be a mark at the other end, and we'd all get down on one knee, and the teacher would yell, get ready, get set, go! And when she'd clap her hands, we'd all take off and race just as fast and hard as we could to the other end of the field. I have that picture in my mind every time I read Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, because the writer of Hebrews, we don't know if it's Paul or someone else, but whoever the preacher was that preached the sermon in the book of Hebrews, I think he has a similar picture in mind. In chapter 12, he's describing a foot race, a runner who is straining in order to win the prize, the garland crowned at the end. And so in Hebrews 12, 1, he says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. There it is. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Will you pray with me? Father, bless our time together around your word. Anoint me to preach it. And open our hearts that we might grow by it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Amen. The writer of Hebrews 
focuses in on three big ideas that we're going to take one a week for the next little while. And the first, he says, you've got to lose the weight, you've got to run with endurance, and you have to fix your eyes on Jesus. Those are the three big keys, and we're going to unpack each one of them. And today we're going to talk about what does it mean to lose the weight? What is he describing? What is he talking about? Or how would we apply it to the day that you and I now live? We're going to study this first command together. It's in verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. In fact, I want you to read that verse with me. Would you read it with me? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Say every weight. I want us to talk about that little phrase today, every weight. You know, runners don't usually dress for fashion or modesty. They dress for speed. You would never start a race carrying a backpack loaded down with rocks or heavy books, would you? No, whenever you're running, you want to streamline everything. I'll never forget the first time I ran a race. We, Shay and I ran a 5K back in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, where the hills go up and down like this for 3.1 miles. It was horrible. And up and down you go, and there we are. And I'll never forget, I was about... I was probably about 33 or 34 when we ran this, and I had never run one before, and I thought I had trained okay and would be ready. And I made my goal. I wanted to run it in less than half an hour. I'd never done one, and I did. I came in about 27, 28 minutes, and I thought that wasn't bad for a first attempt in the hills when you'd never run before, and I did. And I thought I was doing okay until I started noticing the people who were passing me. Amen. And one was an old guy, about 75, and he had on a Speedo, and he was power walking. And he overtook me on a hill and sucked me up in his exhaust and kept going. And he finished in about 23 minutes. Wow. Really felt bad about myself that morning. Amen? Uh, You can't get focused on how everyone else is doing, right? Running is sort of like golf. You're trying to beat your score, not everybody else's. At least that's what Tony tells me golf is like. You're trying to improve your own time when you get up and go out there. And the only person you're trying to beat is you. You're trying to do better now than you did the last time around. And I believe there's a lot of truth in that. I know there's truth in that in our spiritual lives. The Bible says those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. We'll get a false read if we compare ourselves to one another. Either I will become proud because I think I'm doing much better than some people or I'll get discouraged because I think I'm doing much worse than some people. I have to judge how am I doing compared to how I have done in the past. I think that's the best read we can do spiritually or otherwise in the new year as we sail in. But what are the things that will trip us up You'd never start a race carrying a lot of heavy equipment. In the same way, the writer of Hebrews says, Strip off, lay aside, cast down, get rid of the baggage that slows you down, the besetting sins and the extra weight. Now, we know that all sin hinders us in the Christian life, right? He says, get rid of the sin. He says, lay aside every weight and the sin. Say the sin. Sin will slow you down in the Christian life. You can make no progress in the things of God as long as you are petting one of your sins. 
as long as there's some area of your life God has spoken to you about and you want to dress it, it's like running with your shoelaces tied together. You're not going to get very far until you address the issue that God has spoken to you about. You have to address it. And the reality is, most of us don't struggle with 8 or 10 or 12 sins. Most of us struggle with 2 or 3, and we can name the ones we struggle with, right? They are the sins which so easily ensnare us. Each of us have a list of sins we are most likely to commit, don't we? And if you know yourself well, you know your list and I know my list. And our list may not be the same. There may be things that tempt you that don't bother me. And there may be areas where you are strong that I really struggle. But the Bible says if we're going to progress, we must deal with the sin. Say the sin. Especially the sins that have a habit or a history of tripping us up. We must eventually, finally deal with those things and get free from the bondage of them. And if you haven't done that yet, that's a great place to start in 2018. This will be the year I walk in victory over and fill in the blank. And make up your mind, this is going to be the year I receive deliverance and I walk in victory from the Lord in this area of my life. But what I have came to talk to you today about was not sin. As much as I preach on holiness, I want to go a little different direction today. And I want to focus on the front end of the verse, not the back end. And let us lay aside every weight. Say that. Every weight. There are some things in life that are not sin that trip us up. There are some things in life that are not evil, they're not wrong, they're not bad, they're not condemned in the Scripture, and yet if they get out of their place, they can really cause us harm and slow us down in the Christian life. In fact, many people, if you read about leadership at all, great leaders will tell you that what keeps us from our best is not the bad, it's the second best. Good. We've got to go from good to great. We want to go from the things that are good to the things that are best. And if we're going to be our best, we're going to have to let go of some things that are good so we have time, energy, and strength to invest in the things that are best. We have to make some choices, don't we? Selection is the law of life. And so you may be struggling with sin this year, sins of the flesh, like lust or pornography, drunkenness or drug abuse. It may be sins of the tongue like gossip or profanity, lying or rudeness. It may be sins of the heart, envy or jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger or rage. The sins have to be dealt with. But most of us know what our list is. I want to challenge you today about the weights. Many things in life are just dead weight. They're dead weight. They slow us down. And as I prayed for our church this week, I've asked God, Lord, what are some major bricks in our backpack that we need to unload at the beginning of the year if we're going to move forward as a people? And I feel like the Lord dealt with me about three of them. We wrestle, in my opinion, with three big areas. Our schedules are overextended, our finances are overcommitted, and our brains are overconnected. We struggle with time wasters, budget busters, and energy drainers. And I want to talk to you about those three things this morning. Time wasters, budget busters, and energy drainers. Number one, time wasters. Say time wasters. Church, eventually we have to come to the place where we understand that our time is one of our greatest resources. 
It's one of our greatest resources. We trade time for money all the, every week. If we work by the hour especially, right? You've got a dollar amount attached to your hours. You know how much an hour is worth to you when you clock in on the job. If you're salaried, then you can divide what you make by what you invest and come up with the same number. We trade time for money all the time. Time is a valuable commodity to us. And the scary thing is, unlike money, it's one of the things we sort of have equally. Every one of us, when we wake up in the morning, have 24 hours deposited into our bank account. And we will spend them because we can't carry them over to the next day. Amen? We must invest those hours wisely because we can never get them back. And yet when I look at our lives, many of us live with time wasters. Our schedules are overextended. We have way too much packed into our calendar and our days. We have no margin, no scheduled downtime, no breathing room. Relationships are strengthened and nourished in those breathing spaces. And that's why many of our relationships often struggle in this culture is because the world we live in tells you you don't need room for those things. You need to pack every moment full. And I want to tell you, that will not end well for us. We struggle, number one, labor and leisure. We, we wrestle in these areas. Our labor and our leisure, our work is a big area. A wise man once said, every waking minute shouldn't be a working minute. God commands us to not live that way. And yet many Americans choose to live exactly that way. We work more than our neighbors around us. Did you know this? Americans work on average far more hours per week than their neighbors in other nations around the world. We invest more time and energy in our jobs. We tend to make more than our neighbors in the same professions around the world. And yet in survey after survey, we report less happiness than our neighbors across the pond in Europe. Why? Probably because they focus more on relationship and we're busy building our bank account. We're worried about our finances. We're fixated on our money. Now, I know finances are a problem. I get that. Shay and I have never been people of great means. We never have. And I understand what it's like. Uh, if you wonder, well, whenever I began in marriage and ministry, I made $300 a week and I had $600 a month house rent. Then we can talk about my car note and my insurance and the other bills that I had. Oh, by the way, we were both in school and we had tuition and books. So we ate a lot of ramen noodles the first year that we were married. Amen? I mean, we went grocery shopping and found out they had them in six different flavors. Amen? And, and, and wonderful. You can have a different flavor every night and that's how you made it, right? Some of you made it that way. You know what I'm talking about. You haven't lived until you put Spam on the grill. Amen? I, you don't know hard times until you've mixed tuna fish in your ramen noodles to get some protein, right? I mean, you do what you have to do during those seasons of life. Now, thank God we're not there now. God's blessed us, and you bless us, and thank you for that. Amen? My kids don't like tuna in their ramen noodles. Amen? <laughs> but we can get so focused on that that we lose sight that there are other things. Years ago in the Soviet Union, the government actually forced 
parents to work 16 and 18 hour days so that when the children left school, they were put in state-sponsored daycares. Why did the government do this? The government did not want parents to have time to spend with their children because they were afraid they would pass their values on to them and their religion on to them. So they organized things in such a way that these children would be in state-run daycares and they could brainwash them and turn them into good communists. And in one generation, they basically transformed the Soviet Union. What's amazing to me today is in America, we have a generation of people who are willing to work those kinds of hours and pass their children off to others for that length of time. And no one is forcing us to do it. We are choosing to do it. Wow. Just because we leave the office and come home doesn't mean it's a lot better because modern technology makes it all too easy to bring our work home with us. Even when we are at home, many of us are still very distracted and often inaccessible to our families. When's the last time you missed a story that your child was telling you about their day at school because you were reading an email or you were checking a text message or you were listening to a voicemail or you had to return a call to someone about something related to work even though you were in your living room? How often have you missed your child's games or programs at school because you were tied up with some responsibility from work? I'm not trying to guilt trip all the moms and dads who work hard to put bread on the table, but I want to warn you, if you are not careful, you will make a living and miss your life. All the older people said amen. People a generation ahead of you know I'm telling the truth, and they oftentimes did not struggle with all the technology like we do today. And so even though they worked hard, when they left work, they left work. And when they were home, they were home. Amen? And that's a lesson that my generation has to learn how to do. Because it's easy to always be on. And it's not fair to our families or ourselves to always be on. Hear me today, I recently attended the funeral of a senior adult gentleman and while hundreds of people came and went during the visitation, one small group remained there by the casket all evening. It was the wife and the children. And I realized in that moment when I came home, Shay said, what's the matter with you? And I said, I, I realized something tonight that I knew but needed to be reminded of. And she said, what's that? I said, at the end of my life, that room will fill and empty three or four times over the course of my visitation. But there will be one group of people who are there from the beginning and stand there at the end. And they will be the ones most greatly affected when I leave this world. And they will be my wife and my three children. Church, if that is true for us now, why don't we act like it's true now? Why do we insist that they get the leftovers and everybody else gets the best pieces? It's quiet in the holiness church today. Don't work through vacation. Take personal leave time. Invest in your family. Listen, it's not only our labor, though, that gets us. It's also our leisure. For some of us, it's hobbies and other activities that take over and drive the train. And it's not that we're investing too much time at work. It's that when we're not at work, we're giving away all of our time to these other activities. Most families with children don't leave the office to head to the house. They leave the office and head to the ball field or the next activity that is on the list for that evening and they don't get home till 9 or 10 o'clock at night, many nights of the week. I know families with multiple children who are literally at some event 
every night of the week. And these events are growing bolder and stronger in their demands on our family time. It used to be that Sunday and Wednesday were sacrosanct. Nobody would touch Sunday or Wednesday night. But now that's not true anymore. They'll book a practice on a Wednesday night. Well, I paid for my kid to go to this, and I really want them to be involved with this. And they practice on Wednesday night. And so we pull them out of youth group, or we pull them out of church on Wednesday night. And then we have things that travel, and well, they play ball games on Sundays. And so we start missing a large amount of Sundays in order to go because we plug them into these activities. And then, and then, they hit about 16 or 17 years old. And you want to come and wonder why your youth pastor can't straighten them out in two hours on Sunday or Wednesday night. I've got a news flash for you. We can't undo in two or three hours the knots that have gotten tied in all the rest of the hours of the week. The church is supplemental to the family. The church is not a replacement to the family. I am charged with the discipleship of my children. And the church can help me do that. But the church can't do that for me. Mm, I feel my help coming. The Bible says children ought to raise their children. Parents ought to raise their children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. He says that fathers are to talk to their sons and daughters when they sit down and when they rise up, when they walk along the way. We are to be the ones. The Bible said put memorial stones up so that when your children ask you what do these stones mean, you can tell them what they mean. You're the pastor at your house. My job is to equip you to pastor your family. That's why you come and gather here. Amen. But we can't undo that. We can't outsource all that. These events, many coaches don't respect Sundays or Wednesdays. We have to make the decision that we respect Sunday and Wednesday night. And we're going to be in the Lord's house. And you know what? If God's people would stick together and do that, there's enough Christians that they'd stop calling practices on Wednesday night. You can't tell me if every kid who wanted to be in church, their parents would look at the coach and say, I'm sorry, coach, we will not be here on Wednesday night. If you'd stick together and do that, the coach would have more in church than he did showing up on Wednesday night, and he would move that practice. He'd move it. Even if they won't move it, my kid won't be there, I'm sorry. My kid's going to be back here getting the word of God drilled into his heart and his head because I know what is ahead of him in a few years. I know what he's going to face when he gets in high school and college and I want him to be able to dribble a soccer ball but whenever temptation comes his way it won't matter how good he is at athletics. I want God's word hidden in his heart. I want the spirit of God to have built something into him. And if I want it in him then, I've got to build it in him now. And I've got to be committed to God's house in order for that to happen. I'll tell you the truth. I believe with all my heart we worship false gods in this country. We don't worship Zeus and we don't worship Apollo. But we worship football and basketball and baseball and all these different things. And we sacrifice often our time and our money and our energy and even the health of our children up on the altar of a false god. How do you know it's an idol? When it gets out of its place. Is there anything wrong with playing ball? Nothing at all. 
Is there anything wrong with investing in them athletically? Not at all, as long as you keep it in its place. All these things are not sin. They are weight. Say weight. They're things that carry us, drag us down if they get out of shape, if we get too much of it, if it gets overbalanced, if it gets out of its place. It's sort of like fire in the house. As long as fire stays in the fireplace, fire is a good thing. Amen? It creates ambience. It brings warmth. It produces light. But if the fire ever gets out of the fireplace, it'll burn the house down. And as long as we keep these other things, labor and leisure, in their God-ordained space, they are good things. But when they get out of that boundary and they start driving the train of our lives, they become bad things. Pastor, that's a hard word. I'm called to preach the hard words too. I'm telling you what I prayed and heard from the Holy Ghost. Some of us need to deal with the time wasters in our lives this year. Some of us need to take control of our calendars and our schedules back. But pastor, they booked this and they booked that. They won't stand before the Lord Jesus on the last day and give an account for how you invested your life. You will. I will. And I better be living today like I'm going to hope I've lived when I get to that day. That includes my time. The Bible says God gave talents, five, two, and one. And at the end, when the master came back, he demanded an accounting and said, tell me what you did with what I gave you. I want to tell you, your time is one of the things that you and I will give an account for on the day of judgment. Why do you think Paul says, redeeming the time because the days are evil? We've got to deal with our time wasters. Say time wasters. We have to deal with the time wasters. We have to control our calendar. You may say spending time with your spouse and children is a priority, but if it's not on the calendar, it's not a priority. If everything else takes precedent over it, it isn't. My priorities are not what I think they are, say they are. They're what my calendar and my pocketbook prove that they are. If the thing doesn't move from the to-do list to a specific slot on my calendar, I don't have a to-do list, I have a wish list. And most Christians have a wish list. Well, I wish I would do this. I wish I would do that. If we don't move our New Year's resolutions into our calendar and book a time when they're actually going to get done, we'll have the same list at the beginning of next year that we had at the beginning of this year. Amen. That's how it works. If nothing changes, nothing changes. I said it last Sunday. Something has to change in our lives. Daily devotion is better than New Year's resolutions. Daily devotion is better than New Year's resolutions. Wake up every day and say, what am I going to do today to put legs on these things, to put feet on my commitments? How am I going to build them into my life? When am I going to do something about the things that I have expressed matter to me? We must set some limits. We can't do everything. We're crazy if we try. We can't say yes to everything or even all the good things that come our way. We don't have the time or the energy to do that. We don't have... The, the margin to be able to get away with it. We must schedule time with just our family. No guests, no friends, no technology. Don't let travel ball or tumble cheer or school athletics have it all. Don't even let the church have it all. Give some time and investment to your family. 
Tell each child they can pick one activity at the time, but no more. They need to spend time with you, not just a coach or a sponsor at school. Dads, take those boys away for the weekend. Teach them how to put up a tent, how to hunt, how to fish. Show them how to check the oil in a car, how to drive a straight nail, how to use a weed eater, mend a fence, or paint a wall. Turn that young man into a, into a man that some woman actually wants to marry one day. Amen? She's going to need him to do more than know how to watch a football game. And the lady said, come on, ladies. And the lady said, amen. amen. Learn to say no to some things. Make some room. Mom, take that girl in there and show her how to set a table, plan a menu, cook a casserole, write an invitation, balance a checkbook, send a thank you note. Because the men sure don't know how to do any of those things. Amen. These are the things you learn at home. But if you're never home, you're going to learn them. Why do you think nobody under 35 can make a pan of dressing worth eating? I'm, I'm just being real. Lord of mercy. Come on, man. We got to go to our mama's house to get some dumplings, right? I mean... And I don't mean the Mary B. bag. I mean the real dumplings that you roll out and put flour on. My blessed Lord. Dumplings. How many even know how to can? How many of you could can something if your life depended on it? Come on. Everybody over 50. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> we don't know how to do these things because you know where you learned how to do them? You learned how to do them at home. At home, your mom and daddy taught you how to do that. Or else you didn't learn it. Amen. Lord, help us. Learn to say no. Stop volunteering for things out of guilt. Find out what God wants you to do and do that. But don't get guilt-tripped into things that you shouldn't be doing, that you don't have passion to do, that you don't have drive or energy to do, that God hasn't laid it on your heart to do. Book one or two nights a week as a family. Put it on the calendar. And when someone tries to book something else for you, say, I'm sorry, I have a previous engagement, and I can't possibly make it to that event. Build it in and guard it. Have a wholesome meal together. Talk to one another. Plan some fun as a family. Share a devotion. Pray with each other before bedtime. Here's a novel idea. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Just saying. Number two, budget busters. Say budget busters. I've got to hurry. Some of us, it's not just our time that's dragging us down. It's our money that's whipping us this, this season. Our finances are overcommitted. It's not just our calendars. It's our bank accounts. We're slaves to our MasterCard. It's rightly named because it's the master and we're the servant. Isn't that what the Bible says? Most Americans live beyond their means every month and finance their lifestyle that they can't afford through debt. We don't have any money left to give into the service of the church or the ministry of the gospel to send our kids to camp, to take a mission trip because we've overcommitted our finances in all these other ways. Most of us don't have any emergency funds laid aside. The American family, on average, is about three paychecks away from being homeless. Many of us, if we didn't get paid for three weeks in a row, we wouldn't have a place to live because we don't have any margin. We don't have anything put back in a rainy day fund. Most of our children will begin their adult lives in debt up to their eyeballs because they finance their college education with debt. And they start out behind the eight ball and in the hole. 
Young couples delay marriage and children because of it. Some of them even choose to live together rather than marry because of money issues. I know senior adults that choose to live together rather than get married because of social security problems. That is sin. It's not right. And the reason we end up feeling like we have to do it is often because of poor decisions we made earlier in life. And then we want to tell God we have no choice. We had a choice. We missed it. The Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. Proverbs 27 and 22 and 7. As the bumper sticker says, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. Right? Amen. We bought the lie that our culture sells us that we're just one purchase away from being happy. Oh, you just need to buy this gadget. It'll save you time and energy. You just need to take this trip. This vacation will make you happy. Oh, if you drove a car like this, you'd be happy. Oh, if you lived in a house like that, you'd be happy. Oh, if you lived in that neighborhood, you'd be happy. Oh, if you added this bell or whistle to your cable package, you would be happy. Oh, if you added this set of channels, you'd be happy. I've got a news flash for you. If you're not happy without those things, you won't be happy with those things. You won't. If you're happy now, those things might enhance your happiness a little bit. But let me tell you something. Happiness doesn't come from those things. Joy doesn't. Joy comes from on the inside, having a heart that's right with God, knowing that he's got you in his hand, and that no matter what happens, things are going to be okay. Joy comes from relationships that are not broken. Joy comes from being able to sit down with people you love and laugh and have a good time. One of the most joyous meals I ever remember in my entire life is with a great couple that I was friends with and we were in seminary. They were broke and so were we and we sat down over a bowl of dried butter beans and cheese was on sale at McDade's Market. So we had three different kinds of cheese because it was a dollar a pound. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful meal? Yes. <laughs> what made that night so joyous? Us laughing about the cheese and butter beans and having a great time together. Wonderful night. Joy comes from some other place. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in the closet are in fashion or not. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. People who don't know God and the way He works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Matthew 6, 25 through 31. Listen, we have to buy into a budget. Proverbs 21, 20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but the fool gulps theirs down. Did you hear that? The fool gulps theirs down. Only a fool spends everything he makes. I didn't say that. Solomon did. Did you see it? A fool gulps down everything that he brings into his house, spends everything that comes in. That's foolish. That's not the way to live. It's not the way to live and find joy. Start saving up for major purchases rather than going into debt for them. Cut up the credit card the first month. You can't pay the balance off in full. Stop living like you don't have a God. Stop living like your Heavenly Father won't take care of you. Trust in Him. Cut the budget. Get a spending plan and stay on it. 
Pastor, you're doing, you're preaching about self-help today. You're not really preaching the Bible. Oh, on the contrary, I am preaching the Bible. I'm telling you exactly what the Bible says about how to have a good and wise life. Pastor, is this in the Bible? You better believe it's in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Having no captain, overseer, or ruler over her, she provides her supplies in the winter and gathers her food in the harvest. This is in the Word of God. The Bible urges us to live with this kind of wisdom. Because when you live with wisdom like this, you have a life that has joy and peace and margin. And you aren't afraid when trouble comes. Because it's not going to sink your boat. Stop trying to meet the deep needs of your heart through possessions. Put an end to indulgence, snap decisions, impulse buying. Swallow your pride and stop trying to keep up appearances by having to have the best of everything or having a new vehicle every time your neighbor gets a new vehicle. Recognize that your constant drive for these things is really greed. And Colossians 3 says greed is idolatry. Pastor, this is more than just about us having a good life, isn't it? Yes, it is. Jesus said the main, comp- the main competition for my heart is money. He said you cannot worship both God and money. He could have put anything in that blank, but he put money in that blank. Money and possessions are the chief competitor in my heart for God. They're the thing I'm most tempted to lean on and pursue and try to find joy in other than Jesus. Wow. So what do we got to do? We've got to strip off the weight. The time wasters. Say time wasters. The budget busters. Say budget busters. And before we go home, the energy drainers. Say the energy drainers. Our minds are overconnected. Last Sunday I quoted Socrates' famous proposition. He said the unexamined life is not worth living. And yet too many Christians don't examine their lives. We get so busy, we move so fast, we don't even examine what's happening to us. We've got the cruise control set on 95 miles an hour and we don't have the time or energy to stop and look at what we're doing or how we're living. Even when we do have some moments to catch our breath, we fill up those moments with noise. Say noise. Some of us always have the TV on in the background. We never have a moment of quiet just to think. We drive to work and there's something grinding on the radio all the time. The moment we wake up, we reach for our phone. Instead of hugging our spouse, we open up social media and we step out into that world before we even check on the world that's right around our doorstep. I'm preaching better than you're shouting and I know I am. (laughs) This is the truth. I'm telling the truth. This I'm preaching to us in this room. This is how we live. Lord, help us. We're way too plugged in. TV, radio, iPod, cell phones, Apple watches, iPhone 10, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter. You can't walk three steps without something dinging, buzzing, vibrating, shaking. Lord, have mercy. I mean, there's some days I got so many, I feel like I'm having a heart attack. Like, where is that coming from? Be honest, how many of you have felt something vibrate and reach in your pocket and realize your phone was in the other room, but you know you felt it vibrate, didn't you? Yeah! It's like the thing's hardwired in, isn't it? Hard. (laughs) Our kids are overexposed. I fear for them. 
I'm afraid other people and their worldviews and their value systems that we wouldn't approve of have way too much access to our children because of the internet that pours into our homes and pours into the devices that they carry around in their pockets. The average boy is exposed to pornography by the time he's 12 years old. We leave them alone in their room with devices that are connected to the internet. We'd be safer to leave the door unlocked than we would to send that kid upstairs with a phone in his pocket with unfiltered access to the internet so he can look at whatever he wants to look at. You'd be safer to leave the windows unfastened at night than to let him loose with that kind of power and nobody checking on that. We have video games with R ratings and graphic violence and sexuality desensitizing them to the violence of the real world. They get so used to getting all their information in sound bites and news feeds and 30-minute clips. Many of them can't read a book or listen to a sermon and take it in. If a concept takes more than five minutes to explain, many of them can't follow it. That's why they fell out of upper math and advanced science classes. Hmm. And they'll be voting in the next presidential election. We're way too accessible. There's never a moment of our lives when somebody can't get a hold of us or contact us. There's never a moment when people think they shouldn't be able to get a hold of us. People are talking while they're driving, they're texting, while they're eating their meals, even when they're using the bathroom. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever heard a toilet flush while you were on the phone with somebody. Amen? That is not a mental picture your pastor wants. Hang up and call back later. Amen? Do not want to imagine that. No, no. Surely, we don't have to have our phone with us everywhere. Amen? I hear about people dropping their phone in the toilet. Why did you have your phone? Have mercy. People text when they text others while their friends are right across from them face to face. And they're supposed to be talking to you and the whole time. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you ever want to slap them? <laughs> I'm right here. Those people are not. Put them away. I chose to spend this time with you face to face. Put some boundaries around that. Take charge of your technology. Who pays the bill on this thing? You or somebody else? Is it here for your convenience or their convenience? Until they start paying the bill on it, put it up when you want to put it up. Mm -hmm. Preach, pastor, I think I will. (laughs) Give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay and then leave work at home. They don't pay you enough to cut into your family time. But when you're at work, don't play on your phone. Nobody pays you by the hour to surf on Facebook. Glory to God. You know, we laugh, and it is funny. And I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek. But you know what, in reality, if you're playing around like that on the phone and you're paid by the hour, you're stealing from your employer. You're sinning. Stop it. They're paying you by the hour, and you are stealing from them. Stealing from them. What if they paid you and deducted all the time? Mm, Lord have mercy. 
Turn your cell phone off the first hour that you're at home. Let the calls go to voicemail. Jot down the stuff you need to handle tomorrow on a notepad and let it go to tomorrow. Unless you're a doctor, a fireman, or God, no one is going to die if they have to wait a couple hours on you to get back in touch with them. Amen. Even those people are on call, except for God. He's always on. Keep your phone in another room when you're praying and reading the Bible. The devil loves to use that as a distraction to keep you from praying and hearing from God. But you can't hear from God when all these other things are buzzing and beeping around you. You can't. You have to be still and know that he's God. You have to focus in and let God speak to you. Stop scrolling on Facebook during conversations with people that are right in front of you. One more and I'll let you all go eat chicken dinner, okay? Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Stop ranting and raving on Facebook. You are a Christian. You are saved. You have the Holy Ghost living on the inside of you. You bear the name of Jesus. You represent your Savior. And whenever you get on there and you show out like that, people know that you claim to be a Christian and they know where you go to church. Stop it. Stop it. Don't do that. If you have an issue with somebody, do what the Bible says. Be man or woman enough to go talk to them about your issue. Don't get on Facebook and air it out for everybody else to see. And if you do get on Facebook and put all your business out there, don't you dare get on there and say, I wish people would mind their business. Well, it's none of their business. You made it their business when you put it in your, on your uh, status and it went across their computer screen. It became their business. You just put it right out there. And then you wonder why they comment on it. When you are on Facebook, you are in a public place. Say that with me out loud. When you are on Facebook, you are in a public place. Act like you're in public. Lord have mercy. Pastor, is this in the Bible? Well, if it was written today, it would be. <laughs> Why? Dead weight. Let us lay aside every sin and the weight. Every weight that so easily trips us up. The psalmist said, be still and know that I'm God. If you need help, private message somebody. Call a trusted friend. Book a meeting with your pastor. But stop polling the world, asking them about the decisions you ought to make. Some of the people who write in and tell you stuff aren't even saved and don't even know God. And you don't need to know their opinion. You don't need their thoughts floating around in your head. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water. He brings forth fruit in his season. And whatever he does will prosper. Get in this book. Get some godly counsel around you. Learn how to live a new kind of life. And shut all these other people out and stop giving them access to your life. Be careful who you let speak into your life. Free advice, just remember, you usually get what you pay for. It's about as worth as much as you paid for it on Facebook, right? Get in God's Word. Get some people that love God around your life and go talk to them. 
Get somebody that's a Paul ahead of you in the journey and go find out what they say. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. If we want to enjoy peace with God in our lives, we've got to disconnect from the world, reconnect with God, and engage with our family and friends in an intentional way. Stand with me all over the Lord's house. You see, church, the bottom line here is our priorities. And they're not what we say they are or what we think they are or what we, what we hope they are. They are what they are. And the way to discover them is, what does your calendar say your priorities are? What does your checkbook say your priorities are? Right? And what takes up space in your brain most of the time? Answer those three questions and I'll tell you what your priorities are. What takes your time, your money, and your mental energy? That's what your priorities are. That's it. And if I want them to be different, I have to intentionally make them different. So what are you going to do? Lay aside the weight. Go home and sit down with a piece of paper and a cup of coffee, unless you're giving that up for the fast, and get along with God and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Write down these three categories. Lord, what is one time waster that I'm going to work on and get rid of in this new year? Lord, what is one budget buster that I can do without? Eat at home more. Drink Folgers instead of Starbucks. There's a lot of things you can do. Amen? It'll cut some fluff out of your budget. Number three, Lord, what is draining my life of energy? What is producing unnecessary drama in my life that I can get rid of? I'm going to be honest with you. Some of you need to get rid of some friends. You need to get rid of some friends. They're not your friends. Anybody that keeps your life in turmoil all the time, that's not your friend. That's not your friend. Anybody that pulls you into the whirlpool of their drama all the time, you don't need that in your life. You hear me? And unless you're covenant bound and responsible for them, don't let them keep you sucked into that. Amen. And even if you are, there's some boundaries you can put on that. And we can talk to you about how. Do something. I know this sounds hard. Parts of this message may sound nearly impossible for some of us in the room. But as Christians who live in a culture that has gone off the rails, we're going to have to make some tough decisions. Some countercultural choices for our family. We're going to look different than the world around us. Christians always have and they always will. If we do what they do, our marriages will end up just like theirs. Our kids will end up like theirs. It will be an adjustment for us, for our children and our friends. They may not always understand our choices, but we have to follow our convictions and not the culture around us. One of the great benefits I've learned to turning 41 years old is I finally feel like I'm old enough to not have to explain my decisions to everybody else. Do you hear me? You're grown. You don't have to explain every decision you make for your house and your family to everybody else. They don't have to like it or agree with it. Amen? Make decisions today that will change the life of your family. We're not the owners of anything. We're the stewards of God's property. And we'll give an account for how we invested His resources on the last day. If today was the accounting day, would Jesus say, Well done! good, faithful servant? Are we pleasing the Lord with how we invest what he loaned us? On that day, our boss, friends, softball coaches, they will not be there to defend our choices. 
We have to live this day like that day is coming. What do you need to do differently? Write it down. Talk it over with your spouse. Make a plan. Put it on the calendar. Stick to it. For some of us today, this sermon reveals an even deeper problem, and that is this. The reality for some of us is Jesus isn't the Lord of our lives. He's not the center. He's not what everything else is built around. We're looking for satisfaction and joy and peace, chasing all this other stuff because we haven't found it in the only place that you can really find it, and that is a relationship with Jesus. If you've chased all this other stuff for years, if you've lived year after year in the rat race and you're still not happy, fulfilled, you still don't have peace, can I say to you with all love and all respect today, maybe what's missing isn't the next purchase, the next vacation, the next promotion. Maybe what's missing is a living, vital relationship with the Lord Jesus. Do you have that? I didn't ask you if you went to church, had joined, even got baptized. I'm asking you, do you have a living relationship with Jesus that provides joy and peace and purpose and meaning to your heart? Because if you have that, you can take or leave the rest of it. You can enjoy it if the Lord brings it, and you cannot miss it so badly if, if, he, if he takes it or if it goes, or if it even never comes. Is your heart anchored in Jesus today? And if it is, what do you need to change to live more into Him and not depend on this other stuff so much? God never intended His gifts to replace Himself. God never intended us to love the gifts more than the giver. Is Jesus the center of your life? Or are you just consuming His gifts and trying to find meaning and purpose in them? Where are you? Where are you? By your heart. Let's pray. Father, I've done my best, Lord, to preach what you laid on my heart. That there's dead weight in our lives. Things that, as long as they stay in their place, can be good, rewarding things. But Lord, for so many of us, they've gotten out of their place. They've gotten out of the fireplace and the fire is burning down the establishment. Lord, help us today. Show us where we are. Reveal us what's true about us. Lord, let us be honest today. Enough to allow your spirit to speak to us about these three areas of life. But Lord, even more importantly, if there's anyone in the room who would say, I really don't have a vital, living, joy-producing relationship with Jesus. And that is why I'm off target and out of balance in every other area. And I see it today, and I need that fixed. Lord, draw some heart to yourself today. In Jesus' name. And Lord, for those of us that you've spoken to, don't let us forget it when we drive home. Let us sit down somewhere today with our spouse and decide what will we do differently this year. Lord, let this fast that begins today for our church be a hard reset for us. Some of us need to establish some things and not do them for 21 days. We need to do them for the next 365 days. Lord, help us today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Chad's going to lead us in a song. If you need to come pray, the altar's open. If not, I'm going to close, and I'll see you tonight at 6. But if you need to pray, someone would love to meet you here, introduce you to Jesus. If you're a Christian, let's sing. Let's express our praise to the Lord before we dismiss this morning. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at the Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at forcehillcog.org. 
join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash forest hill cog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.